The following stories are from the book Strange Stories from the Lodge of Leisures by Pu Songling. The book is translated from the Chinese by Georges Soulier of the French Consular Service in China, 1913. The Laughing Ghost Xiu Long Mountain was one of the most celebrated students of the District of Perfect Flowers. Having mastered the mysterious theories of the ancient classics, he took a fancy in the researches of the Taoist magicians, whose temples may be found in the smallest villages of the empire. He soon discovered that, for the greater number, they were impostors, and being proud of his newly acquired science, he concluded that none of them possessed any occult power. When he came to this somewhat hasty conclusion, he was seated alone in his library. The night was already advancing. A small oil lamp hardly illuminated his books on the table he was sitting at. Yes, there is no doubt, nothing exists outside the material appearances. There is nothing occult in the world, and nothing can come out of nothingness. As he was saying these words half aloud, he was startled by an unearthly laugh which seemed to come from behind his back. He turned quickly around, but nothing was to be seen. His heart beating, he was listening intently. The laugh came from another part of the room. Long Mountain was brave, but as people are brave who have only met the ordinary dangers of civilized life, such as barking dogs, insulting coolies, or angry dealers presenting a long deferred bill. He tried in vain to believe it was only a joke imposed on him by some friend. Nothing could prevail upon his growing terror. Straining his eyes, he looked at the part of the room where the laugh came from. At first, he could not see anything, but by degrees, he perceived a black shadow moving in a corner. Then a strange form with a horse's head and a man's body all covered with long black hair. The teeth were big and sharp, as so many mountain peaks. The eyes of this dreadful creature began shining so much that the whole room was illuminated. Then he began moving towards the man. This was too much. The student screamed like a dying donkey and burst the door open. He ran out into the courtyard. From an open door in the western pavilion, a ray of light crossed the darkness. Four or five men were playing cards, drinking and swearing. Long Mountain ran into their room and panting explained his vision. The men being drunk wanted to see the thing. Holding lanterns and lamps, they accompanied their visitor back to his studio. When they passed the doorway, Long Mountain screamed again. The thing was still there. He would have run away had not the men, laughing and jesting, shown him that the ghost in reality was a long dress hung in a corner to a big hook on which sat a black cat, meowing desperately. When the men closed the door and left him alone, the student was deeply ashamed of his terror. Shaken by his emotion, he went to bed and tried to sleep. Sleep would not come. His nervousness seemed to increase. Starting at the smallest noise, he remained a long time awake. Then he lost consciousness. In the silence, one only heard the cries of the night birds and the buzzing of the autumn's insects. The lamp was out, but a brilliant moon began to pour its silver light through the window. 
The door suddenly creaked. Long Mountain awoke and sat up in his bed. The door slowly opened, and the same thing he had seen and heard entered the room and advanced towards the bed. While the same unearthly laugh came from the long and unshapely head, the flaming eyes were fixed on the student. When the thing was near the bed, Long Mountain fell heavily and did not move anymore. The ghost stopped, put his hand on the breast of the man, remained in that position a moment, then went quickly and silently out of the room. A man was standing outside. What did he say? asked he. Be quiet, said the ghost, taking off the horse's head and discovering a man's very serious face. The joke was good, but we have done it too well. I think he's dead. We had better be as silent as a tomb about all this. The magistrate would never believe in a joke. We would be held responsible for this death and pay a heavy penalty. The Corpse, the Blood Drinker Night was slowly falling in the narrow valley. On the winding path cut in the side of the hill, about 20 mules were following each other, bending under their heavy load. The muleteers, being tired, did not cease to hurry forward their animals, abusing them with coarse voices. Comfortably seated on mules with large pack saddles, three men were going along at the same pace as the caravan of which they were the masters. Their thick dresses, their fur boots, and their red woolen hoods protect them from the cold wind of the mountain. In the darkness, rendered thicker by a slight fog, the lights of a village were shining, and soon the mules, hurrying all together, jostling their loads, crowded before the only inn at the place. The three travelers, happy to be able to rest, got down from the saddles when the innkeeper came out on the step of his door and excused himself, saying all his rooms were taken. I have still, it is true, a large hall the other side of the street, but it is only a barn badly shut. I will show it to you. The merchants, disappointed, consulted each other with a look, but it was too late to continue their way. They followed their landlord. The hall that was shown to them was big enough and closed at the end by a curtain. The luggage was brought, the bedclothes rolled on the pack saddles were spread out as usual on planks and trestles. The meal was served in the general's sitting room. In the midst of noise, laughing and movement, smoking rice, vegetables preserved in vinegar, and lukewarm wine served in small cups. Then everyone went to bed. The lights were put out and profound silence prevailed in the sleeping village. However, towards the hour of the rat, a sensation of cold and uneasiness awoke one of the three travelers named Wang Fu, happiness of the kings. He turned in his bed, but the snoring of his two companions annoyed him. He could not get to sleep. Again, seeing that his rest was finished, he got up, relit the lamp which was out, took a book from his baggage, and stretched himself out again. But if he could not sleep, it was just as impossible to read. In spite of himself, his eyes quit the columns of letters laid out in lines and searched into the darkness that the feeble light did not contrive to break through. A growing terror froze him. He would have liked to awaken his companions, but the fear of being made fun of prevented him. By dint of looking, he at last saw a slight movement shake the big curtain which closed the room. 
There came from behind a crackling of wood being broken. Then a long, painful, threatening silence began again. The merchant felt his flesh thrill. He was filled with horror, in spite of his efforts to be reasonable. The merchant felt his flesh thrill. He was filled with horror, in spite of his efforts to be reasonable. He had put aside his book, and the coverlet drawn up to his nose, he fixed his enlarged eyes on the shadowy corners at the end of the room. The side of the curtain was lifted. A pale hand held the folds. The stuff thus raised permitted a being to pass, whose form, hardly distinct, seemed penetrated by the shadow. Happiness of kings would have liked to scream. His contracted throat allowed no sound to escape. Motionless and speechless, he followed with his horrified look the slow movement of the apparition which approached. He little by little recognized the silhouette of a female seen by her short, quilted dress and her long, narrow jacket. Behind the body, he perceived the curtain again moving. The specter, in the meantime, bending over the bed at one of the sleeping travelers, appeared to give him a long kiss. Then it went towards the couch of the second merchant. Happiness of Kings distinctly saw the pale figure, the eyes from which a red flame was shining, and sharp teeth, half exposed in a ferocious smile, which opened and shut by turns on the throat of the sleeper. A start disturbed the body under the cover, then all stopped. The specter was drinking in long drafts. Happiness of Kings, seeing that his turn was coming, had just enough strength to pull the coverlet over his head. He heard grumblings. A freezing breath penetrated through the water material. Terror gave the merchant full possession of his strength. With a convulsive movement, he threw his coverlet on the apparition, jumped out of his bed, and yelling like a wild beast, he ran as far as the door and flew away into the night. Still running, he felt the freezing breath in his back. He heard the furious growlings of the specter. The prolonged howling of the unhappy man filled the narrow street and all awoke the sleepers in their beds. The prolonged howling of the unhappy man filled the narrow street and awoke all the sleepers in their beds. But none of them moved. They hid themselves farther and farther under their coverlets. These inhuman cries meant nothing good for those who should have been bold enough to go outside. The beleaguered fugitive crossed the village, going faster and faster. Arriving at the last houses, he was only a few feet in advance and felt himself fainting. The road at the extremity of the village was bordered with narrow fields shaded with big trees. The instinct of a hunted animal drove on the distracted merchant. He made a brisk turn to the right, then to the left and threw himself behind the knotted trunk of a huge chestnut tree. The freezing hand already touched his shoulder. He fell senseless. Thank you for listening to Nightmare on Fifth Street, a horror movie podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and follow. Also, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to share the podcast with your friends. If you're able, we'd also love your support over at our membership at buymeacoffee.com slash nightmarepod. Link is in the show notes. And however you decide to support us, we're especially grateful. Thank you for listening.